This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the inspirational, informational, and transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. Today we have a special show. Of course, we're going to answer your questions. If you have a question, send us that feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. If you have a specific question, of course, you can sign up for coaching. Easy place to find coaching is actually at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash courses. We have everything on our website the exam courses, the interview courses, uh, also the scholarships guide is all found there. If you have specific questions, sign up for the coaching. It's $75 for an hour, and uh, this is as of November of 2018. The uh, other interesting thing that we've been doing is uh, getting those videos ready for the interview course. We don't have them complete yet, but it's going to be $75 until we have all those courses complete. Currently, if you do do the coaching with us and interview prep with us, uh, we don't have those up online yet, but you actually have access to some of those courses out there. Anyway, let's get started with the questions. We've got some really uh, good and thoughtful questions that have come in. Uh, and first one is, says, hi, Carl and everyone there. I'm a 52-year-old pilot trying to a uh, career change in flying helicopters professionally. It's super expensive to change over, but I'm very determined. I'm an English major in college, and I'm hoping to defray some of the costs of my training by writing for aviation magazines and writing aviation stories. Since I'm brand new at writing aviation, I'm considering going to Oshkosh to make contacts to hopefully kickstart my contacts for writing. Do you and or your guests think it's worth going to Oshkosh? My cost is roughly $13.50 on a projected budget. Thanks, and you all have an awesome podcast. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate that. Um, as far as going to Oshkosh or just in general... Air shows are great places to go. They're great places to go because it's really a target-rich environment. Why is it so expensive to be at an air show as an exhibitor? Because it's worth it. You know, in a previous life, obviously, some people know I was in the food business and uh, we were in the ice cream business. There's a there's a show here in Central Florida. Uh, it's called the Strawberry Festival. It's a big festival. It's really neat. Uh, all about strawberries, obviously. But to exhibit at the Strawberry Festival is actually cost you like $35,000, which sounds like a whole bunch of money, but it's well worth it because you get so many contacts and you do so much sales. It's actually was uh, the highest earning event for most people uh, in the ice cream business and the food business. So the reason the Oshkosh is expensive to go to all these shows is because it's worth it. Is it good for networking? Of course. Any show you go to, say you want to save some money, say the budget's too high and you want to look at some other air shows, start you know, scouring the internet, find all those shows that are in your area that are aviation related. Uh, there may even be recruiters in the helicopter world. Go to, if you're interested in helicopters, start thinking about writing in some of those helicopter journals. Uh, get out there, do blog posts, do guest uh, posts on blogs, etc. Just Just get out there and, and start uh, writing articles and making those contacts. It really is helpful to go to something like an Oshkosh or a Sun and Fun. Uh, also, some of the shows like the Paris Air Show, all the larger shows are really worth it to go to. As far as making enough contacts to cover your costs, uh, it may or may not work out for the first show, but in the future it really does. Uh, it's amazing how many uh, contacts you can make at those shows in general. So don't just limit yourself to Oshkosh. Think about others. So yes, I'd highly recommend you're, you're going to that show especially. 
Let's take a look at, uh, and of course, if you have any other questions, you know, send us uh, feedback at Aviation Careers Podcast. Great question, though. I really, really enjoyed that. Uh, let's take a peek at our next one. It's a question uh, is comes from uh, the uh, someone who's interested in starting their private pilot. Uh, so I'm. It starts with I'm thinking about starting my private pilot and additional ratings training. Currently, have approximately six hours logged with, with under Part 61 and Part 141. I probably prefer Part 61 for private pilot certificate training. I think costs are similar here in Houston, Texas, a bit less for Part 61. My question is this. I'm 40 years old. Would it be good to go to the regional airlines route for a career change? Uh, Yes, it would. Uh, That's one of the great things about the regionals is you can build so much time. That's the wonderful thing about the regionals is it's so much easier to build time there. And I really think that's a great option is heading over to the regionals because of that. Uh, Even if you're thinking about pursuing other careers, we'll get to that. It's another question here. Uh, Number two, the majors might not be achievable. Is that a fair assessment? And he also lists some of the other airlines out there that are low-cost airlines uh, like a Spirit, uh, a National Airlines, JetBlue, uh, Southwest, that type of thing. Uh, these are major airlines. Uh, as far as I think what you're alluding to is the legacy airlines, uh, the ones that fly have been around before deregulation. It doesn't really matter which portion you pigeonhole in. I think most people want to go to the legacies now, the Delta, the Americans, the Uniteds, that type of thing. Um, but there's many people that are very happy flying for some of the other airlines, especially, you know, interestingly enough, uh, think about this. If it, if it has to do with, say, a career as far as the lifestyle is concerned, you may enjoy uh, the other airlines more so than than some of the legacies and the flying, say, overseas. You're the type of person that just likes to do out and backs, that type of thing. Uh, and if you listen to Airline Pilot Guy, I mean, he's a perfect example of someone who likes to fly domestically. Uh, even, you know, I fly a lot internationally, but most of my international flying is like Central, South America, Caribbean, uh, that type of thing. And it's uh, some of them are pretty tough. I mean, you're looking at doing red eyes just like you're doing overseas. Uh, so that is actually the challenge of flying at some of these overseas carriers and uh, legacy carriers. So if you're interested in that, that's great. But uh, saying the majors are not achievable, I want to address that. First of all, they are. Uh, don't think that. Don't think the majors are not achievable uh, or what you call the majors. Maybe the legacy is what you're alluding to. There are people getting hired even at your age. So don't ever discount that. So number three, he asks, should I go for part 61 and then part one and 41? Or part 61 all the way to CFI. Would this make a difference? Uh, it can make a difference. It depends on you. You know, the hours actually uh, less for part 141 to get to, say, like the commercial and that type of thing. Uh, it is a much more structured environment, of course, in the 141 world uh, than the 61. But with that said, there's a lot of people like myself who do training 61 and actually use the same syllabus as the 141 training. I can do a little bit more with my syllabus. I can tailor it to the individual more than I could if I was under 141 because I have specific things that I have to do within the 141 program that I can't do on my own at part 61. And there can be times it can take less time under 61, but for the majority, uh, 141 is going to take a little bit less time. It's a lot more structured. And uh, your availability for certain benefits are uh, better under 141 depending on uh, veterans' benefits, that type of thing. Uh, Also, uh, he asks about 
some of the flight schools in Texas and looking at the different types there and if I could give a recommendation between certain schools. Those schools, uh, both won AOPA Best School in Flight Training uh, for the past one to six years. Just remember that no matter where you go, I mean, that's a start looking at the those, but it's really a good idea to start asking questions. What flight school, and we've done that before in another episode, what flight school is best for you, your situation, and a flight school that could be the best one week may actually start going downhill and turn into being one of the worst within the, the next year. Uh, people's experiences can be much different. It's also dependent upon the instructor that you have. Remember, those instructors aren't staying there forever. A lot of them are moving on. There are ones that do stay for a while, but make sure you, that you look at the flight school itself, get the experiences, and talk to some of the people that are there. Talk to some of the instructors. I mean, it's amazing how frank some of the instructors could be about the flight school they work for. So, so do that. I really highly recommend you're going there and talking to them. Uh, the other thing, too, is if you do start, uh, a good way to, to determine if they're good is, is jump in and start doing some training. Uh, you can find out fairly quickly. Uh, you're not going to, I wouldn't just put too much money down. Uh, just do a pay-as-you-go. See if you like it. If you like the environment, great. If you don't, try the next school. And, and do it that way. Uh, you don't have a lot invested if you just do a couple of lessons and uh, do some introductory flights, that type of thing. But once you're locked into that 141, then, uh, yeah, you're not going to want to change, and it's a little bit tougher to move over to some others. It's not impossible, though. It can be done. Also, next question, is corporate jet flying a viable career full-time or part-time? Is corporate jet flying a viable career? Well, I tell you what, we've got uh, a new... Uh, co-host on the show. We've had uh, co-hosts in the past and and guest hosts that talk about corporate flying. Oh my gosh, it's a it's a career choice that uh, the questions is interesting because it's a career choice that many people have. Not only is it a viable career, it's the career of choice for many people. Uh, corporate jet flying really is pretty cool. Uh, I've gone down a different route. Would I be happy flying corporate share? Honestly, I'd be flying, happy flying any airplane, but I love flying, so that's a that's a different story. But yes, it's a good career uh, flying a corporate jet. Uh, you get to do some really cool things. For instance, I have a friend that's flying a jet, and they wanted to get a new jet, and now he's involved in designing a new airplane. As a matter of fact, I know more than one person that's doing that. Uh, they're looking at buying a new aircraft, and they bring in the pilots and say, hey, listen, I want you to design this aircraft. I want you to have the design of the cockpit and what things we really need to put into that aircraft. That's really cool. And corporate jet flying is so different. You're really a, a cool, you're a big part of the organization. You really feel part of that, that, uh, that business. With that said, some people don't like the corporate jet flying because of the fact that you're on call a lot more. Uh, I do notice that when I see people transition from corporate flying after, say, 10, 20 years, they come to the airlines. And after like a first year or so, you know, we're on reserve. We only get like 12 days off. But the corporate guys are like, wow, that's a whole bunch of days off compared to what I was just doing. Uh, so then you get used to the, the airline flying and getting all those days off and realizing when you're off, you're off. In a corporate job, Many times they can call you and say, hey, we need some help with this. Uh, another thing, too, just another subtlety, the airlines can call you on your day off also. Don't forget that because um, say they need somebody to do a trip, they'll give you a phone call. You don't have to accept it, of course, but they may call and say, hey, listen, we're going to pay you double. Would you come in and fly this trip? Uh, on the corporate jet side, it's a little bit different, usually on like a salary basis. 
that type of thing. So great questions, though. I like that. Just don't don't forget, you know, these are major airlines. As a matter of fact, there's some regionals that are also major airlines. Uh, and that's kind of interesting. The big airlines like a SkyWest or something like that, that's considered a major airline. So anyway, look at, uh, I, hopefully that's helped you as far as giving specifics on a flight school. It's hard for me to do that because I don't, unless I had a business that was involved in ranking them, it's hard to, to really rate those schools because things can change from the time that you asked me this question uh, till the time we've actually answered the question. So uh, buyer beware, as they say, uh, ask people, go in, start training with them. If you don't like it, you can always change. Happens all the time. Thanks for the question. Next question says, hello, I would like some input or advice. I have the opportunity to go back to school and enroll into the aviation department, which would give me a bachelor's degree in aviation operations while also getting all my certifications to become a commercial pilot. The thing is I'm 23 with a wife and two kids and my wife is on board with the plan to start assuming I get accepted in school as of January. I plan to fill out as many scholarships as possible. I'm new to the world of aviation, but realize I wanted to pursue it as a career after going on a mission trip to Haiti in 2012 and flying for the first time, but never found it to be a possibility until last year when I found the podcast. I've already called and talked to someone at the school that deals with aviation department, I felt bad for being on the phone with her for an hour asking questions after listening to episodes where you guys talked about what questions to ask, and it seems like this would be the best school to go to. Also, it would be my last option to be because the cost of regular flight training at a school at a local airport is so expensive, and with my job as a truck driver, I don't really have the time. I'd like to know if this would be a good route to take if the possibility is there. Also, I do play a lot of flight simulator on the computer to learn the basics of flying before actually attending flight school. Is playing the simulator going to hurt me in my journey to become a pilot? Thanks in advance and love the podcast. Well, thanks for the question. And yes, uh, by the way, flying the simulators, they're, they're really good. Um, remember, we use simulators quite extensively, especially at the college where I am here in uh, Lakeland, Florida. It actually is a very integral part of your flight training. Now, different simulators uh, are, you know, obviously some are better than others and have different attributes that are better. But with that said, uh, anything you can learn about flying is terrific. Gosh, I got my start flying a simulator. It was very rudimentary back uh, back then. You know, I had monochrome screens, etc. So it really wasn't that great of a sim. But it did teach me a few things about the instrumentation, how to fly a course, how to tune in the frequencies, that kind of thing. So anything you can do, honestly, I'm a big believer in anything you can do to stay in aviation is is just a great thing. Another thing you can do is start reading magazines. Read all the magazines you can. All the aviation magazines that, like flight training, AOPA, EAA, uh, Plane and Pilot's a good one. Um, many different magazines that actually talk a lot about flying. Flying magazine. There's there's some great ones out there. I'm probably, I'm missing a bunch of them, but but there's so much information out there. Whatever you can do to stay in the game is important. So no, this the simulator training won't hurt you at all. Talking about going into the aviation um, department there, and if it's a big savings, yeah. I would definitely talk more about that and go there and think about, uh, you know, getting your degree. But what you have to do, because there's not a lot of information here, you have to really kind of lay out a plan. That's basically what we do with our career coaching is we help people lay out plans 
based on their situation and have like a two to five year plan getting you into the airlines. You're young, which is a good thing. Got a lot of time to do this. Uh, working as a truck driver is a good thing many times because it's a little bit flexible. Um, but I get it. You know, it's it's tough to be able to do both things because, you know, the less you're driving, the less money you're making. So also, by the way, with the truck driving, it's very similar to what we do with the airlines. Uh, there's a lot of laws in place, and there's uh, it's a very similar type of environment where you're going from one place to the next. You get little sleep sometimes, and uh, you don't know what city you're in, especially for the the long haul guys. Uh, that's uh, uh, not just you know local, but it really is is something that's very similar. So you kind of get a taste of of what aviation's like in the dispatch environment, that type of thing. So hopefully that's helped you, and of course uh, we can help you with coaching if you need that. Next question comes in. First of all. Thanks for everything that you've done here. I just found your podcast in the past few weeks, and I'm devouring it on my daily commute. Second, shout out to Dan Freeman of Accelerated Flight School Podcast, uh, sometimes visitor to your show, for sharing and caring as he's shown for, uh, and he's met with me last time he uh, he was actually in the area. Uh, so today, this is the last one step that I'm taking towards my career in aviation, writing in and asking these questions which have been plaguing me. Currently 37, three girls at home, and looking to shift careers to the airlines. I have about 60 hours built up towards my private pilot certificate, all from around 10 years ago. Having worked my way through uh, the Accelerated Flight School podcast, I was initially fairly set on just enrolling myself in Accelerated Flight School. I'm not getting any younger, and the appeal of getting my ratings quickly and earning money flying is quite strong. However, after some deep conversation with Dan and some others, I'm looking towards trying to work with one of the FBOs to create an accelerated program, which would give me a little more flexibility to work around the family, but still allow me to progress towards my ratings as quickly as feasible. Now, some seemingly unrelated questions. Uh, and by the way, on that, just, just to back up there, looking at working with an FBO and, and putting together your own accelerated program, that is what I did. And I tell you what, it worked out great. Uh, you have to just, you got to get with the instructor. You got to get a plan together and say, this is what I want to do. This is how many days I'm going to be here. Some of my students that have gone through it the quickest are the ones that have sat down with me and said, I am going to fly five days a week. And this is what I want to do. And I'm like, man, I'm going to work with you. And uh, we're going to get this thing done. Sure enough, I've gotten some ratings uh, done in within a month. And we're not, quote unquote, an accelerated flight school. Anyway, back to your questions. Number one, one of the FBOs offers flight training in a Cirrus SR-22 instead of the more common Cessna Skyhawk. What are the advantages and disadvantages aside from price of training in the Cirrus? Uh, the SR-20 is usually the trainer. SR-22 uh, can be a bit, a lot of an airplane to handle. Uh, just from talking to some of the other uh, flight instructors out there, the 22, if that's the one, I, I'm not sure uh, uh, there was a typo there. So it might be the 20 or 22. Let's, let's look at both of those. SR-22, a lot of plane, 310 horsepower. Uh, some people just can't handle all that. Even later on in their careers, it's something that she'd step into later. SR-20 is a more popular training aircraft, so that might be what they're using. The The bonus to the SR-20, of course, it has a ballistic parachute. Uh, if there are certain situations that you can't get yourself out of, uh, it's helped. And it's, uh, you know, as they say, anybody who's deployed the chute above 1,000 feet hasn't had a fatality, which is good. Uh, so there's a bonus there. SR-20 also has, normally with the newer ones, uh, they have all the PFD, MFD, 
glass cockpit. Uh, you get used to using the autopilot, etc., and that's a good thing. The downside to the SR20, and this is in talking to people that I've worked with in other flight schools that use them extensively, is there. there's a little bit of a, an issue kind of with the landings and landing on that nose gear. Honestly, it happens in the Cessna too, but more so in the SR20. Uh, just a little bit of training there to keep that nose off. But uh, it also is not, from what some people say, not the greatest trainer, especially for the primary. Uh, sometimes the Skyhawk's better. Uh, but I also have had other people say they've gone all the way through the SR-20 and it's been a wonderful aircraft and they've really enjoyed it. Uh, the price, uh, obviously we talked about that. That is, uh, that is a biggie. It's a big price differential. Uh, I personally am looking at uh, an SR-20, 22, but uh, if I'm going to use it with my friends that I want to teach how to fly, I'm probably going to wind up with the, tw- the 172, both for cost and also it's a, a little bit easier to get used to than the SR-20. Now, with that said, if you're trained to fly in a certain airplane, it doesn't matter what it is. If you if you train properly in that plane, uh, yeah, you can you can make that a safe environment, especially with the landings like in the SR-20. We were talking about that. There's uh, some issues there. It's just it's just about training. That's all. Um, is the 172 a little more docile? Yeah, it depends on who you talk to. Uh, both planes are really good, uh, but again, uh, that would be up to you. And that's one of the things that uh, I've the feedback I've gotten from. Uh, I hate to just use myself, so I asked a lot of other flight schools. You know, what do you think about the 20? They love the plane. Uh, as far as a primary training, they like it better. As far as an instrument platform, awesome. Awesome, but as far as primary training, uh, most of them have leaned more towards the 172 and, and the uh, the little warriors and that type of thing. Uh, so just uh, food for thought. You might jump in. I know a lot of guys do, and the SR20 absolutely love it. I love it. Uh, I would love to buy one, but I'm probably going to wind up with a 172. Uh, n- second question. In an effort to grow at my own pace, I thought I would spend some time before each rating familiarizing myself with the material. I'm obsessed when it comes to studying things that I'm interested in, so the thought was that maybe by working through some of the video slash online programs, I might be able to save time and money. Study online, then book several weeks with an instructor for daily lessons. Is this a reasonable thought? Are there any online courses, either Sporties, Kings, for example, that would rec- you'd recommend? Any questions you have about proceeding this way? There's also there's a lot of good stuff out there. Uh, M0A has a great program for getting ready for the written exam. Uh, yes, Sporties and King, I've used all of those programs. Uh, I've gone through some of the courses like on AOPA. Uh, FASafety.gov has some really free courses that are out there. Uh, as far as answering a question, I think it's a great idea to do as much training as you can. The more you know about this something, the better pilot you will be. Uh, understanding the material is really important. And by having many d- different ways of learning that material and having it presented in many different ways may make you understand it even better. Uh, what You know what's interesting is that I did the same thing and I loved it. I went through all the different courses and I learned something different from each instructor. Just remember that. You're going to learn something new from each instructor and by doing these online courses, yeah, you're going to you're gonna actually learn something new from the different instructors. So the more you learn, the better. Uh, will it help you? Yeah. Uh, will it help you? If you're looking at it from a cost standpoint, as far as saving time and money, it probably will save you a little bit of time. Uh, not so sure about the money because you're paying for the courses online, uh, but it'll make you a better pilot. And that's what's really important is don't worry so much about the, the time and money more so about becoming a pilot, good pilot and studying online and doing those courses, I think would help quite, quite a bit.
Next question. One of the advantages that I can see of going through an accelerated flight school is that they have training towards CRM. I can't imagine, although I could be wrong, that this would be something that I would really get trained for through a local FBO. How important is that going to be uh, to the regionals when I apply? CRM course, there's some out there that you can take. Uh, does it, as far as the course and the regionals, does it matter as much? Nah, not so much. I mean, they have, uh, you're going to go through uh, threat and error management or CRM, as they used to call it, uh, crew resource management. You're going to go through some of those courses. Again, there's some courses online you can take about CRM. You can go to flight schools and do some CRM, like in the simulator, and get uh, get it. take a course. Obviously, on the collegiate level, there's lots of courses on CRM. Does it help when you get to the airlines? Yeah, it does. Uh, I will uh, say one of the things that I notice, I fly with a lot of folks that are have only flown single seat by themselves, never flown in a crew environment. And having some CRM training does help because a lot of times they don't understand uh, what they are and what they are not doing uh, right or wrong. But yes, great idea to get out there and do some training on your own, even if you don't go through the uh, the accelerated flight schools. And is it available? Yeah, it's available out there. There's courses online. Uh, again, those resources, resources out there that I talked about, really important. Anyway, next uh, question. From everything that I've seen, the airlines are pretty touchy and demanding when it comes to facial hair. When I first got married, my wife made me promise never to shave again. With the apparent exceptions of, and he lists a couple airlines, why do all airlines require to be clean shaven or only have a mustache? Um, as a matter of fact, interestingly enough, the ones that you mentioned, uh, the reason I didn't say it because is ones that are uh, I've flown for, the airlines... As far as facial hair is concerned, they go back and forth on that. Number one, it, it can be from this is the way they are, this is how they present themselves, and uh, you know this is all part of the uniform and how they present themselves to the public. Number two, uh, the reason many of the airlines don't allow facial hair, especially a full beard, they might allow a goatee, is the oxygen mask and the seal of the oxygen mask on uh, with a beard, and sometimes it doesn't quite seal as well if you had a beard. Uh, that is one of the other things that uh, it's it's has been told to most of our pilots. Is it true? Yeah, I mean it seals better when you don't have facial hair, of course. Um, but uh, but those airlines that you mentioned, I know one of them. I'm not sure about the other one. Has has stopped the whole facial hair, meaning uh, no more uh, no more uh, uh, beards, and just that's in general. You won't have that. Uh, with that said, another a side note too the the beard thing. Just remember on uh, tattoos. A lot of airlines, they really don't want you showing your tattoos or if you have a lot of piercing. Some people uh, get around this by covering that two tattoos and normally with like a long sleeve shirt, that type of thing, or always constantly having their collar uh, buttoned up. So just something to think about. If you do have tattoos, you'll probably wind up buying the long sleeve shirt as opposed to the short sleeve option. Uh, also with piercing, you see people sometimes put... Uh, uh, what do you call them, like uh, Band-Aids over some of the piercings and leave them on. So there are different ways around that. Uh, it depends on what's acceptable to your airlines. So something to think about there. Uh, so, you, well, you, you have to shave the beard. You probably will. Uh, there are some airlines that still let you do the goatee thing, uh, but uh, it's it's not as many, especially if you're in the U.S. There's not as many there. So hopefully that's that's answered that question. Uh, I'm really excited about you moving towards uh, your career goal, and this is a, really is an exciting career. So thanks for the question. Next question, and our final one here, uh, says, uh, I separated from the Air Force last August. I was a crew chief and flight engineer. As a flight engineer, I was an evaluator and an instructor. I want to get my AMP and my ratings. My goal is to be a flight instructor. I spent 
too much of my time away from the family and want to be home more. Do you know if any schools that the VA still pays for the private portion? Also, do you think your coaching would be good for me? Thanks for the podcast. I've been listening and trying to, to get caught up. Uh, yeah, the coaching, it's a specific questions, specific plans. That's how it would help you. Um, we obviously will try to figure out based on what your needs are, where you can go forward. Uh, obviously, there's not things that we can talk about here online that we can do in the one-on-one coaching sessions. As far as uh, what you're talking about uh, and as far as the VA is concerned, uh, there's that's still for many of the schools, you won't be able to get uh, your private under the VA. And there are schools out there you can. They're usually part of a, a large university and they have to own their own aircraft. Uh, there's certain, uh, you know, those are some of the requirements. That's the reason we lost ours at the college here. We actually use a contractor for our airplanes because we're not allowed to own airplanes at the college. And that's why we lost that. Now, with that said, with that said, there's some scholarships out there. There is uh, some new things that are out there through the Department of Transportation, and there's some, and they're starting to do that right now. As far as uh, uh, forces the flyers program, I think you may have heard me talk about that a little bit about on the show before. Start looking towards that. You may be eligible for that, where they will actually pay for your private pilot certificate. Uh, I know that's always a shocker. Uh, we're actually going through the process of registering right now and getting ready for class here at the college. And one of the things that you see is a little asterisk next to the private pilot certificate. And, you know, says this is not eligible for VA because of that fact and that new rule. Uh, I don't personally agree with it. Um, I wish they would change that. I think what had happened is people were taking advantage of the program in the past. Uh, my personal feeling was that they should have administered it better and uh, stop people from taking advantage of that program. Get people like yourself who really want a career in aviation, give them the ability to get their private pilot certificate and move on. It really, it, it's hurt a lot of people, uh, especially veterans that want to move into the field of aviation. Uh, so it, it's just another one more thing you have to deal with another challenge, but hats off to the Department of Transportation for doing the forces to flyers, and that program is multiplying. Uh, the only thing you mentioned is that you want to stay home. Uh, those forces to flyers program I'm talking about, it's more in the experimental stage, and they've started to expand more schools, but there's just certain schools in the United States that actually you can go to if you actually accept it to the forces to flyers. Everything I've heard about it has been wonderful, though. It's a really cool program. Look for more scholarships. Uh, moving forward, as a matter of fact, I am working on trying to get a scholarship put together for veterans so that they can get their private pilot certificate. Uh, we're, uh, but it, it's been it's been a long process, so it's not not there yet. But I know there's other people out there that want to help you, folks. But thanks for your service, and I do uh, I do know it's a challenge sometimes. Uh, when you rotate out of the uh, Air Force or any of the armed forces, because the civilian world is so much different than the military world in the way we use terms, uh, career progression, there is no quote-unquote golden path uh, that you have to go down like certain um, forces in the armed forces uh, term, the the golden path. You know what I'm talking about if you're in ex-military. But it it's really different. And it's really cool because you can actually do what you want, anytime you want, where you want. And also, remember this, too, as far as being a veteran. Anybody listening that's a veteran, there's a lot of programs out there that actually have veterans' preference. In other words, if you are a veteran 
they have Veterans Days, you know, where they actually bring people in. Uh, they have different programs where yeah, they will actually hire veterans, and it's actually advantageous to the company to hire veterans. Uh, so it's really it's something you should look into. And stressing the fact that you are you have served in the military uh, is really important. So again, thanks for the question, and uh, I think. The uh, being an AMP and also getting all your ratings is cool because you also can think about doing some of that corporate flying where they do require some of you to have a mechanics certificate AMP. Well, guys, that's it for the questions. Uh, I really appreciate your listening. Hopefully, this has been helpful to some of you. If you do have questions, write in feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. If it's something more specific, of course, we have the career coaching. Uh, our schedule gets pretty filled up, so it's a good idea to, if you have a question, maybe two, three weeks out at a time. If you want to meet in person, we are here in Lakeland, Florida. You just have to tell me where you are. Uh, and or When we do set up an appointment, I have a place on the north and the south side of the field, so we have to uh, make sure we coordinate before that. Uh, and uh, anyway, uh, one of the things that I really appreciate is all these questions because it not only helps you, the listener that's writing in, but it also helps other people because they have the same questions. So please keep them coming. We really like them, and uh, I love answering these. And we will have more guests on that come in and answer some of the questions also. Well, folks, one thing that I really want you to do is from all this stuff that you've gleaned, all this information, uh, maybe it's something we talked about. Courses to flyers, home study courses, looking at different, you know, accelerated training courses, etc. Trying to figure out the different schools in your area, and uh, you know, thinking about going to the different uh, oh, air shows, etc. Start looking at those things and start looking now. Do that today because it's very important if you're going to do anything in life that you always move forward and you always take one step towards your career goal. I want you to take that one step right now. It could be just calling somebody, asking about their school. It could be finding out from a friend what they thought of an air show and if it was worth it to attend that air show. Whatever it is, I want you to take that one step now, one step today towards your career goal. We'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.